Hello everybody, a very, very warm welcome to Gelato's Parlor. Um, I haven't been doing so many of these lately. Um, since this uh, crisis happened, the coronavirus and the lockdown and all this kind of thing and the quarantine, um, quite honestly, I haven't really had the mind to do it, but I'm trying to get back into it again because I figure now there's an audience that... <laughs> A lot of us ain't doing much, so hopefully you'll you'll have a listen. But thanks very much for your your previous lovely comments and feedback. And um, I am going to try to bring these back again. Um, but without further ado, I, I, this one I'd really like to talk about um, my uh, youth, you know, which was really in the seventies. And we're talking about a period from around nineteen seventy six to about nineteen eighty two. And um, I want to really talk about the youth cults around at that time because you had. Youth cults. Now, youth cults, I consider, would be anything from, from punks, punk rockers, to teddy boys, to rockabillies, skinheads, the mod revival, all this sort of thing. Are youth cults, really, I don't know when they started, and I'm not, I'm not going to give a history lesson here, but I'm sure they've been going on since the 30s. You know, the Razor Boys, and then you had the Zoot Suiters in the uh, 40s and 50s, and Spivs, and then the Teds and the Rockers and all that sort of thing. But I was part of this sector third wave i guess of the teddy boy revival there was the original teds and then there was the um i think the teds in the 60s which morphed more into the rockers and the lever boys on the bikes you know the rockers which were in effect teds on motorbikes the guys who used to fight the mods and girls of course excuse me and then uh what happened was in the 70s you had this revival and it really started with um this, uh, uh, there was just an interest in rock and roll, and that's, uh, you can hear that in the glam rock of the time, in bands like The Sweet, Mud, um, who else now, Wizard, Roy Woods Wizard, and of course people like uh, the Rubettes, Shawaddy Waddy, Alvin Stardust, um, you can hear that 50s rock and roll influence, and that, I believe, kicked off the, I guess the third wave, if you count like the Teddy Boys, the Rockers, of the Teddy Boy revival, which morphed into the rockabilly thing, and what they just called rocking, you know, um, which I, of course, become later on. That was my part of why I love music, that, that scene. But what happened was, so you had these bands, and then you had programmes like Happy Days and, and uh, with the funds and all that, and we all, we all loved that. And then you had uh, some of these rock and rollers came over, like Little Richard and Bill Haley and, uh, and that sort of thing. And Elvis Presley, had, uh, you know, well, he died in 77. So that, I think that all, all contributed to kicking off uh, like the third wave and a Teddy Boy thing, which I was really interested in because I love 50s rock and roll music. I wasn't interested in jazz at the time. I didn't really know what it was or rhythm and blues or anything like that, but I loved the rock and roll, so I became a little Teddy Boy. Now, the problem was with me being a Teddy Boy was um, this was about 1975, 1976. I was living on a council estate in Latimer Road, and Latimer Road really is a backwater of Labrook Grove, and it's basically the arse end of Labrook Grove. And I grew up on a council estate called the Silchester Estate. And just opposite where I grew up was the Lancaster West Estate with the uh, the, 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 the uh, tragic situation of Grenfell Tower. I remember Grenfell going up at the time. And uh, so I grew up on this estate, right? You know, and I used to just be a regular kid riding my bike around and playing with all the other kids on the estate. It was a very multi-ethnic estate, mostly West Indian and Jamaican kids. We were all great friends. Um, Never, I didn't see any problems when I was growing up whatsoever with that sort of thing. There may have been with some of the older, older people, but us youngsters just, we didn't care. We just used to play together and have a laugh. But anyway, I became this Ted. But the problem was I was a teddy boy in a sea of people who didn't like me. Now, I'm not talking about the mates I grew up with. I'm talking about the uh, kids from Portobello and Labrick Grove who are, in effect, skinheads. There's the Labrick Grove skins, they used to call them. Which is why this program is quite interesting, because it's very much something you don't see so much. Well, you don't see it anymore. 
this is the youth cults of the 70s, which was a violent time. Now, these, these kids were violent, these Portobello and Labrador Grove boot boys. And because I was a little Ted, they used to give me hard time. You know, I don't remember ever getting a kick in or beating up by them, but I remember getting my hair ruffled and, you know, the piss taken out of me and that. So I'd go outside and I'd have a drape jacket on, which I bought in a little tailor called, my grandfather bought it for me, in a tailor called Rosemans on the Harrow Road. So I had this drape jacket, I had a drainpipe jeans, drainpipe trousers, black drainpipe. So it was a blue drape with a velvet collar and velvet cuffs and velvet inlays on the pockets. A bootlace tie. Now, it's only 14, 15, a skinny little kid. <laughs> and I had so let me describe myself. So I had this, this, yeah, this, this dark blue drape jacket that my granddad bought with the, uh, the, the velvet collar, as I just said, and all that business. White shirt, bootlace tie, which I bought in Shepherd's Bush, drainpipe black trousers, which my nan took in because my nan was a seamstress. So my nan uh, had the old Singer sewing machine. So she took on in these trousers. I says, Nan, get them as tight as you can. So you'd have to squeeze your, yourself into, into these things. And uh, I had brothel creepers, which were basically like um, quite smart shoes at the top, but they had these two-inch thick crepe soles at the bottom. And they were made by... Uh, we'd buy those in a company called Shelley's, which was in Hammersmith. Well, there were Shelley's everywhere at the time, and a lot of them people my age, even a bit younger listening, will remember Shelley's. It was like a fashionable sort of shoe shop. And they do Doc Martens and all that. So I had these brothel creepers. So I, I so I, and then I had my hair slicked back, long, thick black hair into a pompadour, a quiff, uh, but very long and a very big elephant's trunk quiff at the front. And I was a thin little rat's face. I had. I must have looked a real sight going out. I mean, I think my shoes were bigger than me. So I used to walk out uh, as a teddy boy. Oh, there's Raider Ted. And people would take take the Mickey and laugh and that, you know. I, 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 you know, I didn't really. You got used to it. And I used to travel on the train. I tell you what, I, I was at school at the time. We travelled all over London because I found like-minded friends of mine. And uh, the first place I ever went was the George in Hammersmith. And I walked in this pub. I was only 14, 15. First thing I got thrown out, Irish landlord threw me out. Here, get her out of here. You're too young. You're too young. Get the, get the, get the F out of here. Threw me out, right? And then another kid, uh, a guy called Brillo, who I'm still in touch with, got uh, said... Uh, Jerry Brill, his real name was, we called him Brillo. I says, mate, can you get me in? I said, can he took pity on me? You know, just sort of took pity on me because he was there a couple of years older. A couple of years in those days, if, if I was, say, 14 and someone else was 16, they were a man. You know, it was a big difference. So this uh, this fellow Brillo got me in and said I was his, his little brother and I was 16, so the landlord kind of swallowed it. And I met a load of friends, you know, I met a load of like minded people that loved the rock and roll. We would meet and we would go all over London all over those clubs in London. So we go as far as Wood Green, we go to Southgate, we go all over the place. We go Kings, Abbots Langley, Kings Langley. This was going on for sort of years of these clubs. Now, coexisting with the, the so the, basically, so the, we had this teddy boy scene and that kind of morphed into what we call the rocking scene, the rockabilly scene. So we would stop wearing the drapes, you know, because I went to these other clubs and I thought I'd see everybody in drapes and drape jackets and Teds. And you had a lot of the older Teds and some younger ones as well. And I guess maybe even a few original Teds were there from the 50s. Not so many, more like the second wave 60s lot. Then you'd see kids in donkey jackets and kids in tight jeans and steel toe cap boots and check shirts. And they were calling themselves rockabillies. I didn't know what the hell that was. And they'd have their hair more shaved on the side and sort of greasy quiff. And they looked more American, you know, they were following more that American fashion. I like that. And I kind of quite quickly dumped the drape jacket because I, I really like it very much and started becoming this sort of rockabilly with a donkey. So what I was doing, I was wearing a donkey jacket as a rockabilly, check shirt, 
Levi jeans, Levi 501s, pretty tight, turned up. And chucker boots, which chucker boots were like a, a sister or a brother of the brothel creeper. They were a suede boot, like a Chelsea, like a, a three-quarter length boot that you'd do up with a crepe sole. Suede, black suede usually, or you could get them in tan. So I'd wear chucker boots. Then we'd also wear steel toe cap boots. And what happened was, God knows how the donkey jacket became synonymous with rockabillies. But I dumped all the teddy boy stuff. And most of my friends now were these sort of new wave, the first wave of these rockabillies, you know. Um... It was amazing, really, this, this sort of thing. And then we had our own cult with that. So you had the Teddy Boy cult, then you had the rockers and the bikers, and then you had the rockabillies like us. You had other kids that called themselves Epcats who would wear suits and be very, very smart. And they were with us more than they were with the Teds. And I would wear a suit sometimes, but I'd mostly wear, mostly wear, I'd wear a box jacket if I wanted to be smart, but I'd mostly wear like a donkey jacket. Uh, now, don't ask me again how the donkey jacket became... Uh, synonymous with that sort of scene but it did and what happened was I was working for the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea at the time as an apprentice painter and decorator when I left school um, and that's when I was a rockabilly and um, so what I was doing was I was when I worked down the yard we'd do all these council estates and we'd do all these estates up and all that and paint ceilings and paint walls and all this sort of pretty horrible work but I was an apprentice so when we get when I'd get sent down a yard I realised that the storeroom in the yard was chock full of these donkey jackets with full leather backs so I nicked a load of them, nicked about 10 of them. No one cared. I just put them in the back of my car. There was hundreds of them. I know it wasn't right now, but and then I gave them to my mates. I didn't even sell them. I gave them away. So I gave these lovely donkey jackets with these leather backs that the dustman used to wear to my rockabilly mates, and we were walking around wearing those. And that was great. But you see, coex so we would go all over London to these rockabilly clubs, and there was DJs. It was like the Wild Wax Show, the Wild Wax Show, were three guys that used to spin all the records and they were the first lot I saw. And then there was 50s Flash, who was, uh, we would love 50s Flash dudes. He was a little guy with a quiff and very dapper, smart suits and that sort of thing. Um, he was a little older than us, so he'd been around a bit longer. And he'd play the greatest record you'd ever hear. He'd play all the classic rock and roll, but he'd also play all sorts of, so I'd go to these clubs, like there was one in Woodgreen called Bumbles, which was a 50s Flash night. And let's take this for an example, or the Bobby Sox in Wilston. And Flash would, um, he would play all these sort of things. So he'd play the rock and roll, but he'd play rhythm and blues. Now, that's where I first heard artists like Louis Jordan, Louis Prima, Wynoni Harris, Big Joe Turner. He would play all this sort of rare, what I would call the forerunner of rock and roll. 50s Flash would play it. And he was just the uh, most amazing DJ. And I would absolutely adore his music. And we, he would get the dance floor packed. And these clubs, I can't describe how great they were. There was hundreds and hundreds of people every night. And Flash in his heyday must have been making a fortune um, because he must have had about five or six nights, must have maybe every night of the week, he had a do on somewhere in London that was packed, packed. And it weren't old farts. It wasn't like, old, like, like when we got the rock and roll scene now, a lot of, they're still going, a lot of people of my age and I still go, there are younger people. But the funny thing was, it was all younger people. We're talking about people from, from 14 to 18, uh, even over 20 was quite old, you know, so we were teenagers. And it was a hip scene, you know, it was a subculture. That's what the scene was, which you don't see now. And so let me just go to uh, say, unfortunately, the last few weeks we've lost Flash. Um, he was very ill and he ended up getting COVID-19. But I mean, he, he had that, but he was a very sick guy. He had a stroke. So I'd just like to say now, rest in peace, 50 Flash, because the, the guy shaped me into who I am with the, the love of the rhythm and blues music, which... Uh, led me on to the jazz and all this big bands and all this sort of stuff. 
and also gave me so many great friends who are great friends of mine to this day. So God bless you, Flash. Rest in peace, man. But anyway, so coexisting next to us was all these subcultures as well. You had the punk rockers. Now, punk rockers were on the wane at that time, I guess, because what happened was with the punks, they were... Um, they, we're talking about probably 70s, the punks, were oh yeah, 76, 77. And this was, I'm getting back now into about 1979, 1978, 79. So the punks were on the wane. That was passe at that time. But then there was another revival of the bloody skinheads and there was a revival of the mods. And they hated us. They hated us. So we'd meet back, we'd meet gangs of these kids on the way home. And there was, apart from the facts I backtracked, that some of these clubs I used to go to were very violent. You'd have gangs from South London that didn't like gangs from North London and gangs from Harrow that didn't like gangs from Labrador Grove. And people would fight and there was gangs who would wear different things. So you'd have the, what I call the, what came out the teddy boy and rockabilly scene. You'd have this, but you'd have everyone's, <laughs> I mean, we liked each other, but you kind of hated other people as well. And I, you know, I've never been a violent guy, but I, and I, and I kept the peace most of the time. But there was odd times I'd have to get involved, but... I would mostly get involved on the way home, having, having uh, defending ourselves against the skinheads or against the mod. The mod revival wasn't quite so bad. I remember that was back uh, very early 80s, I think, or late 70s. But the skinheads were nasty. I mean, they would, uh, they kind of like meet us mob handed in Willsden and places like that. And there was, I'll never forget, the biggest fight we ever saw was on um, Neaston Station. Basically, there was a club called the Bobby Sox, as I've mentioned, that 50s Flash used to run and do the DJ. And that would get a pretty rough crowd of rockabillies. Like, we were rough that were all, from all over London, from Wilsdon, from Harrow, from North London, from Edgware, uh, me from Labrick Grove, my mates from Shebbers Bush. You get all people from all over the place, working class. We were working class kids. And then some bright spark decided, so this was in Wilsdon, uh, it was in Neasden, the Bobby Sox. Someone decided to open a skinhead pub about a mile away. Half so halfway between Neasden Station was the Bobby Sox. The other half was the Red. I can't remember what it was called. The Skinhead Pub. I can't remember now. So we'd clash every single night, and there would be the most unbelievable violent fights. No one was getting stabbed, as far as I remember, but it was fist and it was all that sort of thing. And we got involved. And I remember Neasden Station once. Um, you won't believe it, but we're standing down Neasden Station. Um, We'd had a fight with these skinheads and we managed to get away because we were, we were outnumbered. And we're waiting for the train. There was probably about 50 of us. And um, paving stones were raining upon us. Skinheads were throwing paving slabs down at us. That's the honest truth. And anybody who was around at that time will verify my story. Anyway, the train ended up getting smashed up and the skinheads stormed. And we had a... I, you know, I remember feeling scared, but I kind of remember feeling thrilled by it. I guess it's that testosterone of a young man wanting to prove themselves and get involved in that and you couldn't show you couldn't crack up and show real fear because you you have to put on a front so that's what we did I guess but anyway the whole train got smashed and some skin luckily I think we got away but we managed to have, have a go at a few skinheads and a few of our lads got beaten up this was on the news this was I remember watching the news with my dad and mum me mum and dad back at back in Latimer Road and seeing this going off <laughs> and this you know I think this was on the Friday night and on the um Saturday, they were talking about it. All this, this rockabilly, this terrible thing on the train got smashed. Get gang fights. And we were part of that. We were actually part of that. It was unbelievable thinking about it. But there was always sort of trouble going on. But it was beautiful because I forged on that rock and roll and rockabilly scene. Some great friends, you know, some great friends. And um, uh, like, like I say, there was all these kind of, kind of subcultures. And I think the skinheads were the worst. They were the, uh, the um, 
Well, I say the scariest. They were they had they looked tough because of their hair more, but I think some of our lads, well, we're all could take care of ourselves as well. But those those nights you wouldn't believe it. I mean they'd have bands on and there was people the whole dance floor was dance floor was always packed with people. Then there was a slow dance where you dance with a girl at the end. Well, I wouldn't so much because I was always a little bit shy. Uh, I started to get more interested when I started playing. But I just wanted to say right basically that 70s scene and that subculture scene was, was strange because it shaped me who, who I am today. Um, it certainly gave me my love of roots music, of rock and roll, of rhythm and blues, of jazz, of swing. And the saxophone was king on those records. There was always a honking tenor saxophone played by somebody like Lee Allen or Sam the Man Taylor. And it gave me that sort of thing. And we'd see all sorts of, they'd bring live bands over from America like Fats Domino, Bill Haley, Little Richard. Uh, all these kind of people, rare people would come, you know, they'd bring rare acts. So, we'd, so we all, music was the first thing. The clothes was the second. And I guess the aggression was third that you, you, you'd do. That was just part and parcel. And they say London is violent now, and it, and it is. And it, it, with the, uh, well, not so much with the lockdown. I think it's gone a little bit, but it was getting extremely violent. And, uh, but I think our sort of violence was very different. It was more like there was fights, but I, I say I didn't really see knives or anything like that or, or, or guns. That wasn't so much. But the 70s was a very, every, anyone of my age will tell you is in that. It was a fantastically vibrant time. Even though you had a lot of social and political unrest, we, we were not part of that. We were just doing our thing and living in our subculture. And again, it, it kind of shaped me of who I am today. And uh, you'd have to be there to really understand what that late 70s was like. Now, during the early 80s, it all started to go because we started to get older. A few guys met girls and whatever, and we all and then they drifted off. And um, I drifted off because I started playing the saxophone and I got in bands and I started traveling in bands, first on that rock and roll scene and then away from it, just playing to, like I do now, to sort of um, whoever wants to play, to just general the, the general public. And I kind of dropped out of it. But the beauty is, and I'll finish here, that that rock and roll scene never dies. It goes underground for a little bit and then it comes back again and it's still going. You've got a thing called Viva Las Vegas now run by a friend of mine called Tom Ingram that attracts thousands and thousands of people worldwide every year. You've got Hemsby that does that. You've got all these rock and roll do's worldwide in Japan and America. So the scene really is probably as big as it ever has been, even though I, I revisit it once in a while and see my old mates and I love it. I can't do it all the time, but... It's never gone away, and it's the most incredible phenomenon that's a hangover from those days of the youth cults. And um, I'd just like to say to you, uh, it's the rock and roll scene still going, and the rockabilly scene, the rocking. It's called the rocking scene now, but I hope you found this podcast interesting. I just wanted to get a few of these things off my chest about the 70s, because it was a very, very interesting, vibrant time that, that really made me... Uh, who I am today. But anyway, continue listening to Gelato's Pile. If you've liked it, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. I would really appreciate you leaving a little review. And what you can also do is you can listen on Spotify and also on YouTube. Go on my Ray Gelato YouTube channel and subscribe to that as well. And you can listen to Gelato's Pile. We Now I'm back in the swing. We've got more coming. Take care of yourselves. Keep safe and keep well. Goodbye.